lot of the Chinese ecosystem is driven by these young Chinese kids coming up with all these brilliant ideas and solving for their own problems and having a million users within a week and I'm like, okay, this is super interesting. Africa is a very unique space to start a business with its very unique challenges and opportunities. And many people like to compare it to China a few decades ago because it shows what crazy things are possible to create. My name is Antonia Lorenz, and this is the Foundality Africa podcast. Our guest on today's show has studied and lived in different countries around the world, including China. But now she's a young entrepreneur in her home country, Kenya, and therefore she combines deep knowledge on economics around the world with very rooted advice on how to start a business in Africa. This is Harriet Kariyuki. So my name is Harriet Kariyuki. I'm, I'm one of the founders of AfriJob, which is a recruitment startup um, that builds top teams for fast-growing African companies. Uh, we've been doing this over the last year, so very pretty young startup. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just in the space of just ensuring that African companies are able to scale both within the region and globally. Yeah. Harriet will tell us her crazy stories about how she got into those universities abroad, including Harvard. We will hear all about her startup AfriJob and where she sees opportunities in the African market, including what a product that has the potential to scale on the continent actually means. But let's start from the beginning. How did Harriet get to be an entrepreneur? It's a very deep question. What made me an entrepreneur? Um, I, I'm Kenyan, so I grew up here. Um, my parents are tea farmers, so they're like self-entrepreneurs by default where you have to uh, wake up in the morning and like figure out your team and like get them in the field. So I knew there was something in me within like the whole idea of like getting out there and doing. And um, so I went to high school, graduated, went to Harvard for my undergraduate. Um, but I just, you know, very much interested in just how the world works, um, whether that is currency-wise or just how power works. So that's why I was very interested in political science. And uh, I studied in China and for my master's where I did finance. So she went to Harvard, one of the top universities in the world, and then she did her master's in China. Harriet's parents are local tea farmers, so she wasn't super privileged. So I was really wondering, how did she do that? Oh, the usual. <laughs> that is true. Um, so after I graduated from high school, uh, I was one of the top students in my district or county. And then there was a, this specific program called the Equity Bank program, which Equity Bank is one of the top banks within the East African market. So they would take the students and they would have them, you know, go through this particular um, program to train them how to be bankers, which was, I thought was very dope. Um, so I joined the program. I was working. I was earning so much money than my parents. It was interesting. I was born late. It's like two hundred dollars a month, not a lot. Um, but it was very interesting. I learned that I never want to be a banker. Through that particular program, they had another program where they were offering all these interesting opportunities around the world. Mm -hmm. So they talk about all these different colleges in South Korea. Talk about colleges that you never had of, right? Now that sounded like a great opportunity. However, there were some things she had to figure out first. 
the Kenyan curriculum is very much focused on the British yeah. curriculum. So all the things I knew were Cambridge and like all this Oxford school. So, uh, but in the American side, we didn't. I didn't have a lot of information when I came to like American schools. We were told to get a ten schools so that we could apply to them. I I thought like I don't know Kenya has like five ten good universities. Mm. So I thought you know the US has like five ten <laughs> universities. So I, I Google you know universities in the United States and I see hundreds of universities and I'm like how am I supposed to choose ten universities? Yeah. Remember we we used to work from like a we we call them internet cafes and then the internet was not loading so fast. So it's hard for you to get the full information about a school and you have to make a choice. So I remember now going through all these different schools and making random like random choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started off with Rice University. The reason the reason it's very weird because I was like, oh, Rice University, they they, they have rice, you know, because like, I didn't know it was in Texas. And then sounds, good. <laughs> no, sounds good. Sounds like a good school. Yeah. So I chose randomly schools and then um, I remember going back with my niece to the the person who was advising us, and they were like, "Yeah, you should not choose Harvard because Harvard we're already having like a group of uh, top students in the country. You want to com- reduce competition within your group of people so you can have at least a couple success stories." Yeah. So I applied anyway. <laughs> um, so I got rejected. I think to race. <laughs> I think I believe they rejected me <laughs> because I didn't have five hundred dollars to pay, uh, <laughs> and then I waited until like the decisions come and then I learned over the email that I got had said to Harvard which was completely weird because I never thought about that. But, so um, yeah. yeah, so that is how you know that's how I got into the Harvard. <laughs> so it wasn't just luck. After all, Harriet was one of the top students in the country. But I was wondering, is it just hard work or was she also privileged to have those opportunities? It often seems maybe to people, okay, you, you need to be like extremely privileged beforehand to, to get into yes. such schools. How can other Africans get access to get access to that? So it's a hundred percent true. It's true because you have to afford trips. But you know, a lot of universities, top universities are looking for diversity. They're pushing for a lot of diversity and they also want yeah. access to people who have different ways of thinking and different ways of approaching mm-hmm. life. And one of the things that they, uh, the schools look for and all these different universities look mm-hmm. for is like activities that you did mm-hmm. and you know work experience or people experience. Mm-hmm. The point I'm saying about this is that when you're trying to again storytell about all the things you've done, you have to have evidence now, right? It's like you have to show and prove yeah. that you did something. So you just consistently do what you're doing mm-hmm. and when the time comes and luck, whether you call it luck or like you know opportunity, whatever you decide to call it, it comes, it comes. So you have to wake up every morning and do it. So that leads me again to the question, how do you do that? How do you start and create something meaningful that has also impact? Not just to get into a good university, but also for entrepreneurship itself. Harriet has a good idea about that. How do I start? Mm. I always hear people talking and yeah. But how how do they really start? How do you do it? This is a good question of like, oh, how because everyone talks about what and why. Yeah. Like, how? I was having conversations with university students in, in Kenya and we were talking about entrepreneurship and just entrepreneurship in general. And one of the things that I reminded them is that 
Mark Zuckerberg, for example, when he started Facebook, he started it within the Harvard College community and then it scaled it to different universities. And the point is he had a community of people that he could test the product with, right? And when you look at universities or high schools, you have literally you have 800, 1,000 people within your space to try things out with, mm -hmm. right? And some, some of the things that we take for granted is these spaces that we're in. Because when you go to the real world, it's hard. It's hard to acquire customers. But if you're spending so much time with someone, it's, you're technically so uniformed, if you think about high schools, for example, that you understand their problems and you can literally use your people mm -hmm. to do it. And I have talked to a lot of kids and they do it, actually. But it's not just about the community. Most people have this part. It's about what you eventually make of it. <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends who told me that he went to University of Nairobi um, and, uh, and uh, in the medical school. So the, the thing about the medical school is that you don't use your apron, your white apron, until like your second, your third year, and you still scrub as well. So he would, um, he would get lab coats and everything and go sell it to freshmen who are joining in. Mm -hmm. But you know, the parents are so proud of their kids, they'll buy anything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be like, you need a lab coat for this class, you need a lab coat for this class, you need a lab coat for this class, and sell this product. So the point is, it's up to you to take, to take that as an opportunity. Because it's like, you can't just be waiting for opportunities to come. It's not gonna come. You have to wake up in the morning. You have to get up. Yeah. You have to push yourself and then then afterwards find your people. Once you you know, once you have that, find your people, find your friends and convince. That's why you sold it, right? Find your friends to join you in. Yeah. Right? And that's why you have co-founders. Find find your mentor to join you into this. That's how you find people can advise you through this. And people are willing to help. Mm -hmm. People are willing to work with you if you have a vision that you articulated to them. Next, I was super interested in how Harriet got to study in China and even more about what she learned there. She told us about the amount of innovation she experienced around her and what she thinks Africa can learn from it. But how did she get there and what fascinated her so much about China in the first place? So when I was in college, I did political science and East Asian studies. I was very keen in just understanding, we call it like just how economic growth happened within East Asia. And um, yeah, just, you know, one of the things that really blew my, blew my mind in East Asia is that something like South Korea and, um, and you know, like Taiwan and all these different countries, the tiger giants, right? They were able to leap through a lot of like, you know, poverty and bring their population. Um, to make sure they have access to manufacturing and all those different opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I remember we even kept on talking how Tanzania donated money, foreign aid to China at some point. So as you can see, it's like back in the day. Yeah. And when you go to China right now, it's like, it's a, it's, a, it's a space that is competing both in the technology space as well as in the economic space. Yeah. And, and that was something that I was really interested in just understanding. So when I was graduating from college, I applied um, to different programs. They had, the government was offering all this sponsorships for top students across the world to come and study China. Um, so I really wanted to just understand China from the China's point of view as opposed to like the American lens or the British lens or whatever person mm -hmm. wants to tell their story and just understand it from the China's point of view. So I joined the program, I, you know, I went through Peck University which is like an amazing university to be in. China's economic growth over the last decades is more than impressive. 
and it serves as an example and hope that something similar is possible in Africa too. But that certainly didn't come from nowhere. Many cultural, historic and economic situations, as well as how China is governed, play a part. So it is of course very layered, but it is still possible to get insight and perspectives from different spaces and to learn from them. So what did Harriet observe about the Chinese ecosystem that can be interesting for Africa as well? I was very interested again in the innovation side of China. We had a chance to travel around different cities to see just the drone industry. It's yeah. like they're one of the most, you know, they're one of the biggest uh, contributor of the drone, commercial drones even. So mm-hmm. it's like getting into the VR industry and just seeing yeah. the future from the China's point of view. And it was interesting for me, it was like going to Silicon Valley, but like going to Shenzhen Valley, which mm-hmm. is like the Silicon Valley of hardware and seeing how things get done. Yeah. And whenever Africa talks about China, it's usually from the industrialization point of view. But now when you look at China, it's like artificial intelligence and all these yeah. different you know, levels of innovations. And coming back to this market, I feel like a lot of our problems can be solved by technology. However, there is one thing which technology cannot solve. Not everything, because I remember someone asked me whether you can, you can leapfrog bad governance, but it's true mm-hmm. you can't do that. But a lot of things that we're unfortunately. going, unfortunately, that is the only thing. But a lot of other things, it's like we can move a little, we can bridge our financial yeah. gap, we can be able to like literacy and all these different things based on how we use and leverage technology. So that's mm-hmm. why I really value inter- entrepreneurship. After all of that time spent in different and very diverse countries, what does that change about the way you're thinking? For Harriet, all of those experiences opened her mind. Here's her biggest learning. So what did that do to your mindset, I would say? Like, how how did all of this this time change you? Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the things that I have a great opportunity to have is just different perspectives and having a chance to see how you know just some of the things that we take for granted other people don't have the luxury of having so just that knowledge and seeing that in different spaces how you know like some people don't have access to meals the whole day just the basic needs yeah. and just knowing that people are just human beings who are just trying to live and live their best lives and you know just through their journeys but then they're curtailed because they just live in a different part of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Or they come from a different economic level. Yeah. And yet, if you think about it, like the fact that I was able to just um, accumulate education or just knowledge and have access to get into these different spaces means that there's opportunity for millions and millions of young people within the African space to have, finally, to get their uh, opportunities unlocked, their potentials unlocked. Yeah. Because there's so much unlocked potential within yeah. this space. You know, like, it's important for people to just be unlocked so that they can have access to more things than just wealth. I feel like, for me, it's just uncovering their purpose and just ensuring that they're able to, you know, get yeah. there and get it done. Because it's a, it's a good thing for the world, right? Harriet got exposed to so many different perspectives of life. To have learnings and to find a passion. That passion is making sure to unlock Africa's potential through the thing that helped her as well. Getting exposed to different environments. Because what I felt like gave me a lot of this 
different perspective is talking to people, communicating to people, having access to different people who have different experiences, just understanding how they perceive light men based on everything that they interacted with. And so as you can see, these spaces are possible in the day and age of the internet. Yeah. So people can finally interact with the global economy, especially as people within the African market. I think that's when we can unlock a lot of this potential. So that's mm -hmm. something that I think that's where, you know, having an internship experience really helps you. Which leads us to our next topic. Harriet's startup, AfriJob. At AfriJob, Harriet and her co-founder Trey connect young people to internships at high-growth startups all over Africa. But let's first hear how the idea even developed in their minds. It started when Harriet came back from China. It was very interesting to just kind of see a lot of the Chinese ecosystem is driven by these young Chinese kids who are coming up with all these brilliant ideas and solving for their own problems and having a million users within a week. And I'm like, okay, this is super interesting. <laughs> so I knew I really wanted to be in the startup ecosystem. I knew I wanted to be doing something that involves just you know, working with um, the thousands of people or the millions of people in this market. So that's why I moved from China upon graduation and came back to this uh, Kenya, came back home. And I worked with a couple of startups here. And, and during that particular conversation with different stakeholders in the space, I realized that one of the biggest problems that is facing a lot of African companies is the skills. And that was like a very huge mismatch between what is getting turned out of the education system. But Harriet at that time also had a very personal reason why she approached this problem. So how did all of this end in average jobs? <laughs> uh, so when I came back and I'm like, so where do I start? <laughs> it's like when you come back and you're like, wait, I didn't build networks here because I was just busy building relationships in other different places. When you come here, I'm like, hold up, I actually don't know anyone mm -hmm. in this space. I was, you know, I was just trying to figure out what's next, trying to build these relationships I, that I should have been building, but I wasn't here. And that process itself was like, just, you know, something that I wish I could just have had, a, you know, a click of a button and just had, had all these different things done and like come and just, you know, get in the first time and the first day, hopefully. So my co-founder now, Trey was, um, Trey Hunt is called Trey Hunt, was trying to get an opportunity in a Portuguese-speaking country within the African market, which is like Mozambique, for example. Uh, but he couldn't know where to start. Like, he's like, do you know anyone in Mozambique to start with? So that itself of like not knowing people or not knowing where to start is something that we shared. And that when we sat together, when we were having conversations about this, we, we agreed that there's a need for a platform that can be able to connect. So Harriet and Trey had both seen an opportunity because companies need skilled people. And additionally, they faced the problem themselves. But how did they start then? What is their idea to solve this problem? So we started building that database of people who are looking for different opportunities when they come back home. And we built a database of companies that were keen on people who are coming back home, which I think is very important for companies to have access to global, you know, people who have global networks. So when you think about scalability of, scalability, scalability of companies to global levels, you have to have an understanding of how structures of a million employees works. Yeah. Like, it's like some of these things are, you know, you can learn from a book, but sometimes you need people who have had experience of all these different things to have, mm -hmm. to bring you on board not only the structures and, you know, systems in place, but also like the networks that you need to achieve some of these global 
um, global access to the market. So that aspect of the business is something that we really care about, of like bringing in all this, uh, you know, bringing in talent to work with companies that are keen on you know global expansion. And another thing is that we came to learn from the market is that sometimes even when you, even when you need that global mindset, you need to have local networks, right? So you have to know your because sometimes how business works here is who you know, right? Yeah. Afrojeff is still at the beginning. However, they have quite a number of different industry partners and they offer a product. Here's what their very first steps were and how that is slowly developing. Every company is always looking for someone. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that is important then is to sell that. So we had to better understand our company's problems, right? So just understanding what is the challenges when it comes to recruiting. So what we did is like just you know cold calling, cold emailing, reach, going to LinkedIn, reaching out to people who are CEOs or companies or HR people in the companies, going to events and meeting them and talking to them. And writing emails and being like, this is what we have to offer in terms of like, this is our value proposition. So just that, I think one of the things that is very important, I think, is selling. Just sell, 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 sell. So just sell, but also selling, it means that it's being empathetic with your consumers. Yeah. Right? Do you understand exactly what they're looking for? Do you kind of like, um, and being a startup ourselves, we, and working with startups, we understood that talent is one of the biggest uh, pain point and when you look at even the numbers people get upwards of thousands of applications for every job advert that they get so filtering through all that for example yeah. is such a nightmare so then can I get just people that match this role for example so just acknowledging that there's a problem and understanding the value that you offer to the customer and selling that value I think that's one of the most important in interview thing I think sometimes yeah. we build a product and then we go to the customer and be like oh so yeah. you need this <laughs> it's like no I don't <laughs> So where exactly is Afrojob now? Still, in terms of we are still precede. So we are still experimenting different things. We are trying to understand better what our product market fit is. So we started matching the, uh, the companies with the talent. Um, so we would offer internship opportunities, we would offer full-time opportunities. And, and one of the things that we also started realizing is companies also want people can come in as a team to build a product or to come up with a strategy and get it to the next level. Mm -hmm. So now we are we are offering teams as a service as well. So it's you know just having teams that can come and get things to the next level. So as you can see, it's more than just recruiting. It's like how then can we start viewing the ecosystem? Mm -hmm. So one of the things we've been approaching is then can we offer businesses uh, professional development for their own talent force, for example. So one of the things that we're doing is that we do this professional development packages for individuals, whether that says maximizing your LinkedIn. So one of the things that we've been trying to build on is that can we then help students, for example, graduating have a better LinkedIn profile for them to maximize the opportunity. Of course, not everything is always great. The most interesting points are often where the most difficult struggles are. So what is Harriet and her team struggling with? One of the things that one of my mentors told me is that a startup is, a, is like walking dead. <laughs> so you have to always be alive to solve problems and to continue experimenting. So that means that you have to keep selling so that you have enough runway, for example, to pay your uh, you know, salaries, to be able to experiment and go try out a different product and learn from it. So the whole idea is to keep selling and uh, keep pushing for products so that you have enough runway for you to keep experimenting. Mm -hmm. So that's how I've been able to tackle that particular challenge. And since Afrijob is working in recruitment, 
Salaries for good people isn't just something they are facing, but something that their clients are facing as well. <laughs> Because you have to pay. I think one of the things that we push for, especially when it comes to talent, is that companies want the best talent, but they're not able to pay them the best, yeah. right? Because at the end of the day, it's like they, they have invested a lot of their time and resources to get where they are, right? So how can you compensate them fairly and effectively? Yeah. So I, and I argue that it's very important to do that because then they're incentivized enough to be able to perform better. Mm -hmm. So that aspect is like something that is important. And we're working with a lot of startups that are like, give me someone, but then, you know, like, it's like, but we don't have enough runway. And it's true, it's true, because companies really can't afford to get the best mm -hmm. designer to run with him for like a year plus. Yeah. Because there's not enough runway. So just acknowledging that mm -hmm. and knowing that you have to have the top teams to build products and knowing that you have to mm -hmm. raise money to be able to pay for their salaries so that you can experiment. Yeah. Because how can you experiment, make money, pay people? <laughs> Patient so. capital. Next, I wanted to again tap into Harriet's various global experiences especially in terms of opportunities. So I asked her where she sees opportunities in Africa. Here's her answer. Mm, I would argue Tanzania and DRC Congo. East Africa as a market. Mm -hmm. So those are the three things I would argue. Um, a statistic that blew my mind about 40% of the Tanzanian population being under 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And there's another statistic that says that a million people turn 18 every month, every day in Africa. And we hear from an example that, as attentive listeners will know, was already mentioned in another episode, Equity Bank. If, uh, equity Bank, equity bank the, the same Equity Bank that offered the interesting opportunity yeah. for me, uh, has been scaling their product into the DRC market. So they are currently in Kenya, South Sudan, um, I think they're in Rwanda, Uganda might be. But DRC is an interesting market because the way Equity Bank banks, its vision was to work with, you know, like the bottom of the pyramid that would never have had access to banking. So Equity made it in such a way that they had, you know, they could feel comfortable getting in and they were served and they felt dignified, which is something very important. And you're coming up with a product that is able to solve for them, which is the most scalable product. And Besa even was able to scale to the people who were within the bottom of the pyramid that needed money to be transferred from the urban to the rural area. So at the end of the day, the bottom of the pyramid and young people are the people that you should look into yeah. in your scaling product. Whether that's like creating fintech solutions for them, whether that's creating agri-tech solutions for them and dignify them, right? Just knowing that they're also consumers who want to consume entity. Entertain, they want to be entertained too. You know, if you look at the entertainment industry, even the you know, like the yeah. industry is interesting in the, in the within these markets because they still consume entertainment products. Mm. The bottom of the pyramid that's where all of the opportunity in Africa is. Why? Simple math there are just so many people there, and they've never been served right, they've never been dignified even though they're also keen on living a better life and on having products that just work well. So there's a lot of potential, but it's not easy to create such a product. It needs to serve a basic need, it needs to be affordable, logistics is a problem, and so on. But if you achieve all of that, there is not much competition. 
I think the thing is diversity. Yeah. If you diversify their products, mm-hmm. they're very price sensitive. So if you diversify their products and offer them diversity, they will always go for other products. Break it down into like a small quantity, right? Go to the betting industry, for example. The reason why the betting industry was very successful is like it was able to break down the product into a very small. You can buy, you could place a bet for like say, 10 bob, 50 bob, 50 shillings. It's like a very small amount of money. So you're able to place a bet. And the second thing is that it was put it to the last mile, right? So it was like literally you could access it in your last mile. So mm-hmm. it's your cyber cafe, the place I used to go to. Yeah. Your cyber cafe, you can go and bet, right? Place your bet, right? Mm-hmm. And you could SMS. So it's literally just getting it there, which is the hardest part. Logistics is so hard. But if you look at companies like um, Copia, for example, Copia has figured out the commerce model is to go to the, um, we call them the dukas or the shops, the small little shops, and offer a diversity of products there. And people come and, you know, get the diversity and consume. And another interesting thing you can add, offering credit. Oh, when you look at like, Consumers who get less than a dollar a day, most of the time they have a tribe around them where you can be able to get credit. Mm-hmm. So that's your, we call them the, the chamas, right? So you're able to get a 50 cent from Mama, Mama Kamau or like another little bit of money because that five, a dollar is what you get, but like there's other different channels where you're able to access credit from different places. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to even, that's why the, the fintech space has been interesting, it's, you're able to complement whatever they whatever they have and they can repay it because now they have access to a bigger pool of tomatoes so they're able to make a higher sale. Mm -hmm. Take the Boda financing business for example. Drivers have the chance to make money and to repay the Boda. This can be implemented in many industries. Knowing all of that, how do you then actually find a problem that you want to solve and an opportunity that is worth it? If your first customer is yourself, for example, so if you're solving a problem that you feel has affected you in one way or another, that's an opportunity by itself, right? Because you you will be able to like care about, I think they call it more of like a passion fit. Mm-hmm. So you, you're really passionate about that space because at the end of the day, passion will really drive you through the night, the crazy nights. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, so that's why it's, sometimes you find a lot of companies have mission-oriented founders. So that it's their mission yeah. because they care about it so much or they went through it or they have uh, faced it in their life and they're trying to solve for it or they're coming up with ways that they could be their first consumer. And going back to our story in terms of AfriJob is that we faced that particular challenge of getting opportunities when we come back or getting opportunities in, in different types of markets that we cared about. And so we, we built a platform that we could use, right? If I was in the US, for example, mm-hmm. right now, I would have you know, really wanted to have access to networks and in such a way that when I land, I have an opportunity, right? So you, you start with something that has you have gone through and then build something and see whether you would actually pay for it yeah. and then from there then you're able to go to the next step it's like the, you will your community or you try to pay for it right and then the next bigger thing is then can you convince other people to buy it or to to consume it by then you've already tested out because it's test test of one test right so you're testing out the prices you're testing out the product you're testing out the user experience you're testing out this and that and that so that means then it's like you have to, the problem, again, going back to the passion fit, get a passion fit and then get a product market fit and then business model fit. Because now when you've done all that, then the next thing is that how do you make money? Yeah. Can you sustain yourself? Can you sustain your business?
Lastly, as always, Harriet's vision for Africa. And she also has a theory why the next entrepreneurs in Africa will thrive even more with every generation. There's an entire vision for the continent, right? Uh, in terms of like, the continent is huge. It's like there's a vision for the continent in terms of like getting, um, you know, getting unified as part of the African Union, which would be amazing if it happened. Uh, but like, so I do see us being in whatever Southeast Asia is right now. Like your your companies are now having their exits and yeah. you know their big merges, and you're having the, the founders reinvest in the ecosystem, and you're having you know start, startups moving outside your Mumbai's and going to tier two cities and tier three cities, and where the biggest market is. So I think that's what's going to happen in Africa is that. Uh, companies, founders will exit, right? And they'll have enough capital, hopefully, to invest in, in ideas. That's the five, ten years. Mm-hmm. And then in the next 20 years, then you'll have maybe your next round of, of, of your second founders. But the situation could also turn out very, very differently. Harriet sees two scenarios, which both should be a motivation for every entrepreneur in Africa. In terms of like the population, yeah, we have a huge population within. In terms of numbers, we expected yeah. to have one in four people in the world would be an African by mm. 2065. So as you can tell, it, it means that it's either if we find a way to employ our young people, we'll be in a better position. And that's why entrepreneurship, I feel like, will be like a way to unlock yeah. the opportunity. If yeah. not, then it will be a very different situation where there'll be just a lot of like revolutions across mm. different African countries because of lack of jobs. So yeah, yeah. That, those are the two things. But I remain optimistic. I'll look into entrepreneurship yeah. <laughs> as a solution for now. That's it for this episode of the Fondality Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe and don't miss out when we upload new ones. Please also share and leave a review if you want others to know about Foundality. If you want to know more about us, or if you want to leave us a message, visit foundality.com. Also, if you know an outstanding African entrepreneur who you think could be a great guest, please let us know. We do post small snippets, learnings and inspiration from the show on social media. You can find us under the name Foundality. Episodes will be uploaded weekly. See you then.